Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest episode of Industry Nuts and Bolts, a game chat Uh Leaning towards that area, I have been leaning my content towards more gritty stuff, wonky stuff. I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but if you are, you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, and I have a returning guest. I'm so happy that he has uh, found my company. So pleasurable that he has agreed to come on the show one more time. He came on to talk about Earthborn Rangers when it was on Kickstarter. He came on to talk about Descent and some of the issues with the design development of that. And he's back to further our knowledge of the aforementioned Earthborn Rangers. He is the uh, one of the principal designers of that property. Uh, he is, at this point, good friend, Andrew Fisher. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, so, yeah, so you had put up a tweet thread last year. I could say last year, even though it was only like yeah. well, three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, okay. It wasn't <laughs> that long ago. <laughs> uh, and you... Uh, so you're, I mean, Earthborn Rangers is is, go, is on. And it's funny because it's like, it made me think, it's like, wait a minute, Earthborn Rangers isn't done? Like, I'm so used to Kickstarter project being like done or like done-ish kind of thing because that's the new standard of like, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to be like close to finished. And no, it is it is like some hardcore testing and, and iterating and play testing and development that's happening. So I wanted to have an episode all about that. And you are heading the ship on that one, sir. Oh yeah, yeah. Up, uh, we're up to our elbows in testing and iterating on, on the game right now. Yeah, we didn't have it fully complete for the Kickstarter, um, and we were pretty transparent about that. We did a little like track that showed where we were in all the different stages of development on the Kickstarter page, um, and the core systems design was pretty far along. But a lot of our content was in the earlier stages, so that's a lot of what we're kind of testing now. Um, so the game's not actually going to change that much from what people played in the Kickstarter, but all like you know that those core systems they saw are going to get built upon with all sorts mm -hmm. of new content and like different things that play in those core systems so that's that's kind of what we're we're working on now and while we're still uh, uh we're still grinding away um this is hopefully the year uh we release the game uh, our, our planned yeah. release is later this year um mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll have pre-orders up soon unfortunately i can't advertise our pre-orders right now because they're not up yet but we will have them soon Right. And that's what I mean. And the local sourcing, like we talked about that in terms of the local printing. So, I mean, a lot of games are getting held up and still, you know, I mean, I know the big crunch was last year, but, you know, we're still experiencing difficulties with the crunch. But the if, if uh, folks don't know, Earthborn Rangers, uh, living card or not a living card game, but like an expandable card game uh, about, um, you know, adventuring in the wilderness, dot, dot, dot. Go ahead and listen to the last episode. Uh, but it is a it is a big card game with a lot of cards. Uh, and one of the goals of the Kickstarter was uh, local zone printing, which I think was achieved for U.S. and I think uh, Britain. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're hoping to have a European area European. printing as well. Um, we, we're, we're going to be we're working with um, uh, different studios to localize it, including Frosted Games in Germany. Um, and so we're going to have a bunch of localized copies uh, in different languages, and we're hoping to print those over in Europe. Um, we don't have like a solid promise on our European printing yet, but um, we do know we'll be doing one local uh, print in North America. 
And so that just ups the chances that this might actually arrive at this year, which is very exciting. Uh, I, I backed it. So uh, just a full disclosure, I backed it. I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> for the podcast listeners on the One Stop Question podcast, Andrews gave me the thumb up. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get wonky this episode. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm fascinated by this stuff. I'm fascinated by um, not just, you know, the products that come to the table, but how they come to the table. And when we're talking before the show, Andrew and I were talking about this concept of polish, like people feel polish, right? So just on a, on a broad level, like, I mean, you've been a developer for a very long time with Fantasy Flight now on your own. Uh, like talk about like how important that is. And uh, I mean, I don't want to say thankless, but it really is like, that's, this is like, we, there are no episodes, like, you know, people talking about this. They, they don't like, we don't interview the developers. We don't interview the play testers. Like, we interview the designers and maybe the publisher, but it's like the front facing people. So like talk a little bit about like, just kind of working behind the scenes to, to achieve this thing that you call polish. Yeah, I mean, you know, like that polishing stage, that iteration stage can be, to your point, a bit thankless. Um, you know, obviously people notice when it's not polished. Um, it, uh, I started at Fantasy Flight Games uh, back in 2010. Um, we had uh, quite a few releases back then that got some uh, flack for lack of polish. And we got a lot better at it over the years. Um, well, I'm thinking of one so, in like... particular. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rhymes with uh, All Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one got um, better over time though i know that the later expansions really kind of beefed up the solo co-op and everything but anyway so sorry about that yeah, yeah. i'm still traumatized no, 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 I wanted okay. to like that game. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's okay dane, dane did a great job in the expansions and kind of getting that in there but yeah like um we, we've had you know like ups and downs as far as polish goes you, you definitely hear it when it's not there but when it is there it, you don't hear it much, right? Right. Um, you, you might get like a, a mention or a view, like, oh, this is a really polished game, but then, you know, they move on to other things. Um, so almost like silence on that regard is, is, is almost a good thing. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so like uh, playtesting, uh, polish is one element of it, and it's kind of the later element, but there's lots like of, of time uh, that's spent in playtesting. Honestly, you know, when uh, designers and developers are starting on their games, like, most people try to get their game into testing as soon as possible. So you can kind of be on this like iteration game for, you know, depending on how long your game's in development for a tabletop game, like year or two years, mm -hmm. just like constantly pushing and pulling things. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you put up a thread on Twitter, which was a multi-part thing. And you broke down some of the elements of that. So I'd really love to, um, you know, we're gonna share our screen and we're gonna just run through some of the stuff. Uh, I'm very fascinated about some of the, like the really granular stuff, like, you know, game difficulty and length and all that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna ask Professor Fisher, <laughs> take it away, yeah. sir. We can start going through it. Uh, and once again, I'm just giving a heads up to the listeners. This is gonna be pretty wonky stuff, but I hope that we are trying to reach the people for whom this is like, you know, really appealing and maybe some, you know, designers and play testers. We actually do have a lot of play testers who listen to the One Stop Co-op Shop who might be interested in this as well. So Professor, uh, Professor Fisher, uh, begin to take it away now. Ask questions <laughs> of the peanut gallery along the way. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I guess to to kind of give us a little context before we dive in. Um, so I, as you mentioned, uh, people can go and uh, listen to uh, a summary on Earthborn Rangers in a, in a past episode. Um, uh, but just to give kind of a quick rundown right now, Earthborn Rangers is a cooperative adventure card game where one to four players play as rangers, uh, exploring in this kind of uh, futuristic setting, exploring this futuristic wilderness um, and uh, being kind of stewards of the environment in that area. 
And uh, one of the big things with this card game is it's an open world card game. So there is an open world map and uh, the players can go anywhere they want um, and explore anything. Uh, and then there's kind of a story, uh, a, la, you know, a lot like a open world video game you might experience except in card game form. Uh, Which, it's funny because like open world and polish do not go together in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's certainly true. And we, we have been off a lot with this. It's a lot mm -hmm. of content. Uh, we uh, our, our not only is open world pretty intimidating, but uh, our core set has a lot more content in it than a lot of other uh, customizable card games, such as the LCGs by Fantasy Flight. Uh, our core set is about the equivalent of like one of those core sets plus like a whole cycle um, of stuff. So we're, we're trying to kind of like condense it into a single purchase instead of like, you know, tons of expansions that people have to hunt down or whatever. Um, but to give some sense, I, I do have a, a crappy printout. This is very in development. So this is, but I, I got, so, so this is not our final map, but like here is a map of the whole valley. I guess I'll turn it sideways, but um, so this is all the locations in that come in the core set. So, you know, players can move around this board, explore all of this. And yeah, so we have to uh, test and balance all of this. Mm -hmm. So that gives a little context. Um, as Jason said, we're in development right now. Uh, so we are wrapping up uh, what I've been calling wave one of testing. We, we're kind of breaking down testing into to three waves. Uh, of course, we did testing before that in just internally, but uh, we broke down our external testing. Okay. So testing with uh, a larger number of groups outside of just our core team into a few different waves. And so uh, wave one, I because of this amount of content, uh, I was trying to kind of look for ways to subdivide the contents of our game to better kind of test things, certain <clears throat> things in isolation. So uh, we have this open world, but then obviously there's all these story missions on top of it. And there's specific like key locations you can go to with special side missions. You know, they're kind of like, maybe like your cities in Skyrim, right? Where you go into the city and there's custom characters you can talk to and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to, before we started working on all of that, I wanted to make sure that we had a strong foundation. So for wave one, our testers have just been testing um, what is basically the, the foundations of the world. So the player cards, the cards that players will be using to make up their decks, all the starting ones that they get access to at the beginning of the game, mm -hmm. as well as all of the cards that make up kind of the terrain of the valley. So basically think about it like playing um, I don't know, like Grand Theft Auto, except there's just no story missions. So, you know, we're, we're testing like driving around and like, you know, in this case, hiking around. Right. Um, we're we're making sure that all the things you can come across in the world all function before we start testing the story. And mm -hmm. so wave two, which will be coming up soon, will be testing that story, um, the kind of campaign progression, testing these specific locations. And then wave three is kind of that final polish of actually getting everything kind of to that mirror, hopeful mirror shine. Um, so this, this this is kind of an earlier stage that we're gonna be talking sure. about right now. Sure, like uh, you mentioned before, like making sure the individual elements uh, work. One of your uh, tweets in your thread was uh, about the cloud hive swarm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me, like, I mean, when I was a big WoW player, it's, it's so much of this reminds you like kind of big like World of Warcraft and everything. And they talked about like having classes that would like stun for 10 seconds and you know could shield for 30 seconds and it's like wow this is a little bit uh crazy wow how'd, how'd this make it this far <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this b thing over here which is an enemy clearly that is quote unquote nine vulnerable 
Yeah. So I, oh, yeah. Like, how does that slip by? Like, I mean, I, I even something is like that broken. How does that? Is that just like you know the the process is so complex that like you know all of a sudden that comes up, or is that like it made sense in this version? It doesn't make sense in that version. Is that kind of what happens? Well, so the thing to keep in mind is this is a like these games are wildly complex with um, a lot of different people working on them, right? Um, and uh, Unlike in like a video on a video game team, like I, I have some digital development in my past as well. And there we have like version control. People need to submit things mm. um, that, that get checked before they get they, they go through to the code. Here, things are a bit more loose. A lot of our development is in spreadsheets that we can automatically export to in InDesign. So people can just make tweaks and changes. A lot of people are working on a lot of things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So for example, I think the the bees ended up invulnerable because because they're kind of a swarm, we didn't want you to be able to hit them with a wet, like a traditional weapon, right? right. Um, so they got untargetable. So you can't actually like target them with a weapon attack. And so all, all of our bugs and like swarms of things have untargetable. Um, and then we, we were going to, I think each of them had a customized action on them that let you interact and deal with the bugs in some way. Or I think maybe the bees, there was something else in that area that could help you deal with the bees, something else in the okay. game. But mm -hmm. simultaneous to Brooks, uh, who was, uh, they were designing all of this stuff. Uh, I was also doing simplification pass and standardization passes. And I must have like simplified or standardized out the, the very thing that helped you deal with these bees. So we had untargetable bees <laughs> with no solution. Um, and we will, and when I, I, I can share some of our stuff, uh, um, uh, screen share in a second, we'll, we'll see the repercussions of that. Those bees, uh, loomed large in this, uh, we're going to mm. be kind of looking at version 0.51 is, is the version we'll be kind of looking at the feedback from. And, uh, the bees definitely loomed large in the feedback from that. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, but we're, they're fixed now. You can, you can, the bees are not invulnerable anymore. Excellent. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. So, um, I imagine talking about difficulty. Right. So, Lika, so I'll talk a little about difficulty because that's a that's a big thing for, you know, like there's a lot of people who have a lot of different tastes on what difficulty is and, you know, how where especially in a cooperative game, I think that you have a crowd of folks who think like if I can beat it the first time, then it sucks and I don't like it. Or there's another crowd of folks that like, OK, please stop making these co-op games so hard. I want to be able to win sometimes. And that <laughs> those are both very, very strong voices. So, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what your approach is to crafting difficulty. Yeah, uh, difficulty is, it's a challenging one. To your point, people have very different tastes in co-op games. Um, and also different kinds of co-op games have kind of different tolerances. Um, it's our hope with this more open world progression-based game that people will be tolerant of, honestly, a slightly easier difficulty. Um, mm. That um, uh, we want people to be able to explore the world without like, constantly just being bogged down we want them to get around see the the valley of our game and and uh and explore so we don't that, want it uh, to be yeah i'm sorry like, i'm sorry to no, that's exactly what happened in seventh continent with me mm -hmm. so seventh continent was you know serious pulp design huge game you know cards upon cards about cards like i think it was like a thousand some odd cards and you know survival game and it got to the point where the difficulty was so grinding that, you know, just, just from the attrition, right? It wasn't like, you know, individual elements were hard, but like the attrition was very high. So you spent a lot of time kind of like foraging, fishing, getting the resource you need to live and not actually like 
succeed and like move forward. So like I imagine an open world game, that's the kind of thing you want to try to avoid. Yeah, we luckily don't have like quite as strict of a fail state as um, a game like Seventh Continent. Uh, you know, if, if you wear out, you're just done for the day and you have to start again, start again tomorrow. Um, and so, um, but to your point, the attrition point, uh, we've definitely run into some of that in, in our testing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I was to- looking at the, uh, the pie chart. Let's do- I love pie charts. We got to go to the pie chart. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have an episode coming up with... Um, uh, Matthew Dunstan and I was like bugging him to give me the pie charts the whole time. All right. And so, oh, by yeah, the way, if looking- you listen to the podcast, I highly recommend <laughs> hop over to the video show. But we'll try to we'll, we'll try to talk you through as best we can what Andrew was showing. Yeah. So, um, uh, just for a quick little bit of context, we do collect all of our playtesting feedback via Google Forms. Uh, we also, you know, lots of people su- submit emails to me, and we have a Discord where people can talk. But this is kind of a way to collect a bunch of data and keep it all in one place, um, and also crunch some numbers and, and see like um, quicker summaries of some of this data. So uh, this is uh, one of our Google Forms for uh, a version that wrapped up and whenever I did that thread, what was that? Mm-hmm. Like you said, in early November, December, something like that. Early December, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, right now we're looking at uh, how did the game end? So this is a total data of how each session that people played through finished. Um, and there's all sorts of different options from uh, having completed their mission, the, the players having completed their mission to not completing their mission to um, defeated. We, we look at different varieties of like how they were defeated or people who stopped playing for different reasons um, and what they expected to happen um, if they could predict it. Um, so there's a lot of different data here, but the, the, one of the big takeaways, the one I shared on Twitter <laughs> was that our, uh, the Rangers traveled having completed their mission uh, was only 21% of total play session, oh. 21.7. Um, oh. <laughs> there are some people that are rejoicing. There are some people that are like gnashing their teeth. <laughs> that, that is not our intended win percentage. <laughs> um, though admittedly, because it's an open world game, some missions may just take a couple days. Mm-hmm. But the ones we were, the kind of stub missions we were using for this round of testing were intended to be completed in one day. So clearly something wasn't working here. Um, We we clearly had a problem. Uh, We can sort all of our data by player, uh, how many different characters were playing, when plays were subsequent plays from initial, from like, you know, people's first session versus subsequent sessions. Uh, And these kind of analysis tools let us figure things out. So one of the interesting things about um, the win-loss ratio was that our win percentage went way up on subsequent play tests from the same group. Um, and we kind of could see that through a pivot table. Um, I, I don't have uh, that one still created, but we can look at some other data there in a second. Um, and so we could kind of see that likely some of this, um, some of this loss was coming from our learning curve being a little steep. Um, very steep, more of a learning cliff. Uh, uh, <laughs> additionally, um, this kind of came from uh, one other thing you'll kind of see as we go through this form is there's lots of short answer, long answer. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uh, qu- qualitative feedback to dig through as well. And so from that, one of the other reasons we kind of identified for this higher loss was um, complexity. Uh, our game, had a lot of interacting elements, uh, just 
everything was kind of coming together for a few different reasons from board card complexity to interaction complexity um, to make kind of an overwhelming experience that players weren't sure how to proceed. And so they weren't making optimal decisions because they were just kind of overwhelmed and just making the decision that was in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, helping uh, reduce that complexity was one of our big pushes in 5.2, the version after this, and then helping with the learning curve with kind of intro scenarios, as well as um, kind of polishing the rule book. We're polishing for wave two of testing, um, which will start later this month. And so we're hoping some of uh, that stuff we identified here will be addressed then. Cool. Have, so now we're going to um, transition to talk about game length. Uh, so then this kind of folds in and I'm, I'm really curious about that because, you know, you're, you're, you're designing a game for one to four players and, you know, in our solo co-op world, you know, a one player game and a four player game can be super different. So I'd love to hear like what some of the ways in which you're, you know, what you found and some of the ways in which you're, you're, you're going to address it. Yeah, so um, we collect game length data, two different types of game length data. One, we collect um, uh, how many rounds the game took, and then we also collect how many hours the game took, um, which can be very different things, especially when you're talking uh, different player counts. Um, so uh, I, as I kind of mentioned in the Twitter thread, I believe, uh, with game length, uh, we're hoping that the game plays at about... Uh, once people are experienced at about an hour to uh, 60 to 90 minutes. Um, we have tolerance, especially for three or four players, higher player counts for it going a little longer than that, but we don't want it to be going, uh, you know, our, our higher thing here, more than three hours. We definitely don't want it to be going that high. We we like really like it kind of in the red and orange here. Um, and so in that way, this data looks promising, right? Over like, even though we identified that things are complex and the learning curve is pretty steep. We're, uh, we're, we're hitting uh, over 50% of our players are playing in the time we want. Um, but uh, as we'll look at in a second, that's a bit misleading. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we can look at game length by rounds. And this, like, I don't even know what to do with this data because like, it's just all over the place, right? Like one to 10 rounds, there's no trends or anything. So um, uh, so as collected by Google forms here, not as useful. Um, and this is where we kind of get back to those pivot tables. I believe this one is still set up. So, um, so this pivot table looks at, uh, how many Ranger characters we're playing. So we have one, two, three, four. So this is how many players there were. Is it a solo game versus a four player game? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, our, the first thing in the pivot table here, that's really easy to see is the average number of rounds per number of players. And here we can see once we filter this mess by player count, we're, we're seeing some more trends. Um, mm. We are seeing games that go um, a lot higher in round count at solo and duos, mm. but getting radically short as we go up. And that's just because like the players are, uh, the way our game scales, the players are drawing more cards every, uh, every round because there's more players and they can do more things. So uh, um, these four player groups are churning through the game in like no rounds at all. Um, th like this it'll one be one round and then they'll like have accomplished, they'll have killed all the bees, they'll have killed all the whatever. And like, you know, in four turns basically. Yeah, have explored the area because, so the way um, to, to, to give people who aren't aware of a bit of context, um, the way when you show up at one of these locations on our map, um, you construct a customized deck for that location based on the terrain 
that you've walked on and based on some other customized things for that location to make a little deck that you have to explore that is unique to that location. Um, and then you explore it. Uh, but you each round, you draw a number of cards off of that deck um, equal. Uh, each player draws one. So solo, you know, you're only, you're exploring through pretty slowly. Whereas four players, each player draws one, like tons of stuff comes out. Right. Uh, so uh, it helps keep the four player game moving as far as a uh, total playtime goes, but it, um, it means that the round counts a lot lower. And so we can see this pretty wild variance. 1.7 is a little low because one of uh, some of our four player games um, did get cut short, hmm. but it, we're still seeing this wild variance. So we know things like in mechanics, we can't rely on per round timers to like be a very reliable difficulty mechanic because this variance is just so high. Mm -hmm. Or if we do use them, we need to be aware that like, okay, this timer we're putting in is going to tick like twice per game for a four player game. In actuality, it'll probably be in, in the final game, it'll probably be closer to two to four times per game. But for a solo game gamer, this might tick a ton of times. And so mm -hmm. we can kind of be aware of that because of this. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other side of game length, which is the total play time of like real lifetime. How many hours did it take you? How many minutes did it take you? Um, that's unfortunately because Google Sheets doesn't play super nice with the, I really wish this wouldn't pop up every time. I'm sure there's some person who knows Google Sheets really well who's just yelling at like yelling at their screen ah! right now. Like, no, just do this. Um, uh, You'll smoke but, them uh, out. Uh, I'm sure that person will leave a comment. Oh yeah, yeah. Leave a comment down below on all the things I'm doing wrong in Google Sheets. Uh, I'd love to learn. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, it doesn't play nice. These aren't uh, values. It's just a string of one to right. one thirty. But we can kind of look here. And when, when you kind of analyze this data by the numbers here, we could kind of start to see that um, uh, a lot more of our plays are solo plays. And so because of that, our data is actually skewed. Solo plays are taking less real world time, whereas our uh, multiplayer games are taking way more real world time. So in actuality, while this looks pretty good, it's skewed because more of our tests are solo. And right. so the game is just playing kind of long, which does make sense based on what we talked about with difficulty and complexity. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're kind of working to drive that number down in future iterations um, uh, now kind of based on that observation. And so the idea being that, and this is not out, I mean, this is not uh, in the sheets, but just kind of a philosophy thing, which is that hopefully people will get something out of this. Um, you know, there's a lot of solo games that are basically like solo games and then we'll then add, right? Uh, so like, you know, I've, I've designed a solo game and it's like, okay, uh, 2X armor for the, and 2X health for the bad guy. And it's like, and it layers on. And, you know, when that happens, obviously you're adding that time, but there's also like a, a multiplying factor. Like you're not just adding like double time. You're adding all these other things because, you know, things last longer and, you know, uh, the effects last longer and all this kind of stuff. So like the, the time can really blow up on you uh, in terms oh, yeah. of a one versus four. So, I mean, like, it sounds like if you're going to keep the one player game, and the four player game in around ish, the same time, maybe a little bit of flex. It sounds like the, the, the way that the, game works and the way the characters works would have to be almost like re very radically re-engineered in order for that to happen. Yeah, well, we're, we're hoping not. Um, 
the like so th there are things you can do like additive designs such as adding helper mechanisms onto the solo player game you know i think we've all played games where there's like some uh, automata add-on that kind of um <laughs> yeah 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 your, your companion dog and we may end up with a a like companion type thing um for some other play space related reasons mm. um but our hope is to make the solo play experience as authentic to the other play experiences as possible so we're trying in uh i think that doing some additive design with like um some kind of automated player two for a solo player would be a easy fix a fix that would be decently easy to implement um it, it, it would require a lot of design and play testing don't get me wrong but like i think we could do it and help scaling a lot um, but we are hoping to kind of through iteration, find a sweet spot where we can solve most of this through scaling and through targeting the mechanics, uh, when deciding which design space to play in, playing in design space that scales more flatly versus scaling more exponentially with player count. Um, so for example, we looked at that round timer and like how many, that round count by player count and how dramatically that scales. So we're not gonna really play in that space too much because it doesn't scale well on that one to four dynamic. And instead we're gonna play in spaces that do scale a little better. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's our hope. Uh, we'll see if we end up getting there. I, I think we are like, every version has felt better um, for like solo play versus four, four player. Honestly, right now, solo isn't even my biggest concern if I'm being frank. Um, sure. four player, four player is like normally yeah. in most of the games I've worked on solo is always the, like, you know, like, oh, this is the exception point, you know, like, but right now four player is feeling a little unwieldy. And so well, that's say, where we're trying to kind of simplify that. things. I, I, yeah. We're a solo co-op podcast. So like, I, there's a lot of people that might be really fascinated by that. Like, you know, in your previous experience, like that, like that's the big thing, right? The solo is tacked on, you know, they didn't really test it. They didn't really polish it. Like, cause it, it's like the vestigial tail so to speak it's a two to four game we slapped on solo so then like talk about like that experience i mean you know from the inside i mean and they, uh, is that feeling right is that feeling right where a lot of games have the vestigial solo and like how does that kind of play from, from a development perspective oh i mean like to be frank yes like a lot of games have fairly vestigial uh solo play like it's just you know like the, the designers probably most i I don't, I don't think you'd talk to any designer who would say, yeah, I didn't care about solo, right? Like they all, all the designers care deeply about making an experience that's just as good. Um, but like, you know, you're designing under a clock, you're designing often a lot of content, like, and you're trying to, you know, you want to make the average experience the best, which, you know, like if say your game supports one to five players, your average experience is three, you might like develop at three and then kind of like push and pull in the other directions. Um, but you know, like uh, the average being three is a slight trick. So like uh, one, to, one to five uh, is the example I pulled. Nikki Valens and I worked on Mansions of Madness, mm -hmm. uh, second edition. Um, and that's uh, one to five players. Um, and uh, uh, some of you might be, be smirking at that because I believe uh, <laughs> uh, the, the solo play requires you to play two players. The infamous like uh, double fisting, right? right. Like, um, and, and so, so part of that, like, is we really wanted you to play with a single investigator in mansions. Um, but the, um, you know, so, so, so like if you're designing for three as like your average, right. Case, um, mm -hmm. five players 
from three players is only 66% more players, right? Mm-hmm. But one player versus uh, um, three right. players, right? That is one third, right? Like that is that is a way more dramatic scale. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, like adding another 66% versus one to three, that jump is uh, tripling. Mm-hmm. So like, because of that, um, three isn't actually your, your kind of pivot point. If you want to be balancing for one, um, like one is just this really dramatic shift. If everything is scaling linearly, when you go down to one, like, uh, sorry, I'm getting slightly nitty gritty here, but like, you know, right. like say, uh, every player draws a, a card every turn, like we, like we talked about, right. Uh, three to five is a lot less of a significant jump when you're balancing around things as one to three. And that one can just be like unworkable. And that's where we reached in mansions was like too many different systems in the game scaled linearly with player count. And when it scaled down to one, it just made the experience unfun. And the game required like map positioning and like doing two things at once in the story. And it just, we couldn't, like we really tried to make a single investigator work and we knew that experience was just wasn't going to be good mm. and so that's why we went with a double fisting approach like in mansions for example um so anyway uh, I, I my 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 long digression aside i, um, I asked for it <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's what we're interested in because that's part of the polish thing like we do there are a lot of games that you know they kind of there's a lot of desire i should say that i'll say it this way there's a lot of desire in our community for genuine solo experiences you know, and but the thing is, like, not a lot of companies make just one player games like, you know, God bless Van Ryder, God bless a couple other places that like make one player games They're But they're just not a lot of it. And so when we get, you know, we take what we can get. We take this, you know, we, we're going to take a one and a one to four. And I'm hearing from you that like how hard it is. We can't just ask for it <laughs> I mean, that, you know, we can't just like make it. So like put more attention to it. Like we're talking about level, like factorial more levels of attention to make a solo game work. Yeah. It's just uh, I mean, like, uh, and that's why you see a lot of people rely on, you know, double fisting or some automata, right? Like it helps with those scaling issues, but like, you know, to, to your, uh, to your statement of, uh, you know, we can't make it happen. Um, to an extent we can, right? Like okay. with buying power, right? Like um, mm. companies are interested in making solo, you know, like if solo sells, they will put more time and attention in making sure solo is good. Which, um, which and, it is selling, yes. Uh, yep, yeah, and, and and I was going to say, trust me, it, it is selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, solo, like, and I think it's only continuing to be more and more represented um, in like in uh, the data and uh, I, I can tell you that definitely, it's it's definitely a point of conversation into how to make sure that solo gamers um, aren't just immediately going to be, you know, like frustrated by an experience and trying to like spend more time making sure games are, are focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the original question that spawned this digression, um, I think almost every designer would love to spend more time and attention making their solo mode perfect it ends up vestigial just because of limited time and resources. Um, And so like, I think almost any designer you talk to would be excited to give more love to their, their solo modes. Mm -hmm. And Um, you were, you were saying like earthborn ragers has gone a little bit, a a different route. Like it was it a, like a low player count game that you're scaling up type situation. Well, yeah. So I, um, because of some of that, like, 
average experience stuff we were talking about. Um, some of what the average experience that a lot of the core systems were designed around is two players. Um, we're looking at a similar factor scaling down to one and up to four, right? Um, down to one, it's one doubled as two, two doubled as four, right? And so like um, two is actually kind of deceptively our like average case in that mm -hmm. case. Um, additionally, like um, solo play is something that Andrew is very passionate about. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in as well, but Andrew specifically, like solo play is very close to his heart. He, you know, Andrew Navarro, a lot of time. by the way, we're speaking about yes. Andrew oh, Navarro, yes. Uh, and Andrew Navarro. Of... Right. Yep. Uh, lead of Earthborn, uh, Earthborn Games um, and kind of creative director on Rangers. Uh, see, he, he has spent a lot of time playing solo games in his basement. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of cases where he didn't have people to get, get together with a lot of times during the pandemic when he was at home. And so because of that, like he, um, is very interested in making a legitimate solo experience. He doesn't want to double fist. He wants to, you know, like have a single character and play through the game as a single character. So it's been something that like we've been considering a pretty core experience to the game. And because of that, it's gotten more attention. Um, and so I think um, that factor, um, as well as just some of our other uh, things is uh, like, and focusing on two players as our kind of average experience means that four players right now is a way bigger challenge for us than one. Right. Um, so that's a good news for solo players out there. Cause I think we're going to get there with our solo play. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in seeing like, I mean, it, cause four players, like, I mean, I, at the very least, what I find in a lot of like solo co-op is like, you know, the, you know, the time is kind of doubled unless you go, unless you're doing like a pandemic system, right? Cause like a pan, you know, a pandemic system, your character doesn't grow, right? So it's like, okay. And the, and the deck, I actually have a pandemic laid out right now. I'm doing a bunch of playthroughs of a pandemic. It's always this size. <laughs> now for the podcast, I'm holding up a deck of 48 cards or whatever this, this thing is. So then if it's two players, then it's like, whatever it is, like 12 turns each. And then if it's four players, then it's like, you know, you know, whatever it is, four, 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 same number of turns spread out over people. You don't want that in a game like this because there is growth. You know, like you want, you're not just like doing stuff on a board, like you want players to have that sense that like, you know, like you were saying before, like if a game lasts around, you're not going to grow anything, you know, because I haven't had a chance to play cards. And I want that's that's part of the deal of playing a collectible-ish card game. I want to explore my deck. So then being able to manage in a higher player count game, like, you know, satisfying the gamer urge to explore a deck yet not giving them like, you know, three X, the time period. I imagine that's going to be something that you're going to really want to try to focus on. Oh yeah. Like, like I said earlier, um, uh, that kind of estimate at round count for a four player game was coming in at like three to four rounds, which to your point about like, you know, growing at like, uh, what cards you even play growing it like the engine building decks want to get their engine rolling and stuff it's barely enough time to do so um, right. and you have and characters that like neat like i think you have like tinkers and stuff like that that want to get their little things out and it's like oh man three yeah, rounds my, i think <laughs> i barely got my stick out <laughs> yeah my my favorite deck is a wait, where is it yeah i've got an artificer deck here that's all about engine building and 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 they'd be pretty upset if uh they couldn't like get that cranking three to four rounds would be be a little rough um right uh our, our game does scale decently well because of the energy system and, and how it works uh of, of like having a, a lower round count um but ultimate goal is to get that round count a little higher on four players so okay. 
you know, in iteration, we're playing around with a few different things to help that happen with like based uh, some scaling things, especially in how we set up the areas. When you, when you get to a new location, I mentioned building that little deck, but then like certain cards come into play based on unique things about that specific location you're at. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of, that's some pretty open design space, meaning that we have a lot of control over it. We can like kind of write whatever we want in that setup instructions so that, because um, there's not a lot of other systems that relying on them. So we can try a bunch of different things. And so there we're playing with different mm -hmm. scaling methods to kind of help offset this player difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, so hope, like I hope to get there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it sounds exciting. Like, I mean, I just uh, thinking off the top of my head, I mean, so like when you were saying before, like if it's a game design for like three and then the, the bringing it down to one is this like huge challenge and, you know, you have these like cludges, the double fisting and the, um, or, or, or two-handed, I should say, <laughs> double fisting is whatever. Uh, so two-handed play or like an automaton or whatever. Um, I'm like, would you ever consider like, you know, in terms of answering that four-player thing you know having them start with more things in the board you know so it's like if a, if a solo player starts at level one they start to scale up maybe start like you know the at the higher player count you started like you know with this extra thing out you get this like a little bit more advanced to get them going a little bit faster so that they feel like they've done more on a turn is that something that is like in play oh yeah definitely like i kind of said with those setup instructions that's a lot of like you might arrive in a new area a few times per game um, you know, like uh, people can, some games, people might stay at one area uh, for most of the game. Other times they may travel a few times, but each time you set up, that gives us this kind of place to set up the board in different ways for them. And so um, uh, kind of keeping it a little lighter for the, um, for the single player and then like ramping some stuff up for the, the four players um, can kind of force them around timer is basically when everybody has passed. So we don't have like, uh, or the end of the round in our in our game is when everybody else has passed. So our timer on when does a round end is the resources player ha players have to expend and four mm -hmm. players, they have four times as many resources to expend. So we are putting uh, more challenges out in front of them, um, uh, forcing them to expend more resources to more quickly end the round. Um, okay. that kind of forces that round to turn over mm -hmm. um, and keeps them rolling. But by putting it in the setup instead of a per round trigger, it means that they're not getting constantly punished for being four, like a four player group. And they will kind of catch up with the content and get that advantage they have for collaborating with each other. Um, and uh, I think at the end of the day, based on kind of where things are going, I think four players might be a little easier than solo play just because okay. you have way more tools at your disposal. Mm -hmm. um, I can't say for sure. Like I said, we're only like at the end of wave one of testing right now, but okay. that's kind of my impression. Um, so because it's a little easier, I'm okay with setting up a little bit more challenge up front to kind of force those resources to get expended. Okay. So then uh, I just to, you know, kind of round out those another part of your thread I wanted to catch uh yeah. Uh, talk about which was the character, like, you know, the stats and all that. And like, you know, which stats are good, which stats are bad. Well, not bad, but like, you know, like getting that feel right. You know, anybody who, um, you know, plays like role playing games, they're going to know. It's like, okay, if I have a, if I'm a warrior, my strength should be good. And if I'm a, you know, a wizard, my intelligence should be good. And, you know, you know, playing with those different stat differentials and, you know, you know, cause there's gear that comes along and there's like, okay, there's plus to this and plus to that. It's like, you know, how do I evaluate something good? And there's always the, 
the stat that lags behind, <laughs> you know, the stat that like one build of one class that, that keys off of, and then, you know, and, it, it, and they're the only ones that care. So it usually ends up being some kind of like either spirit or wisdom or some kind of stat like that. So it's kind of striking in your thread to see that here we go again. <laughs> spirit is a little bit more because it seems it's so like up in the air. It's like, what is spirit? It's energy. What is this? I don't know what it is, but like strength, we understand. And, you know, what these other things we understand, but like spirit becomes very much in the eye of the design beholder in a way, you know, because it plays out differently in these different areas. So talk through a little bit about like what the different stats in Earthborn Rangers and how you're approaching that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this kind of shows our stat uh, distribution of what players chose. And we'll kind of talk about, we have four different stats aspects, they're called in the game. And um, these kind of represent the types of uh, energy you have to, and so what kind of cards you can play. Um, it, this throws me off because Google mapped different colors to this. Oh. The, 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 the four aspects are uh, blue, red, yellow, and green. So these colors are perfect. They're just mapped to the wrong ones. <laughs> so it's very confusing for me. Um, so, so we have awareness, which is kind of like your ability to spot, um, observe, uh, critically consider things. Um, we have uh, spirit, uh, like you said, which is your ability to like connect with things in the world and like your attunement with the world, your kind of spiritual connection to the world. We have fitness, um, which is, you know, your strength constitution, mm -hmm. that kind of uh, stat. And we have focus, which is kind of like your intelligence, um, your wherewithal. Um, mental acuity type stat. Um, and so uh, to your point, uh, awareness, fitness, and focus, intellect, you know, strength, dexterity, and um, uh, like- the, and miscellaneous. Have, yeah. <laughs> Charisma <laughs> and wisdom and all the other things that could happen, yeah. Yeah, these have um, um, some concrete applications where a spirit sometimes gets a little like, um, you know, people aren't exactly sure what it's doing. Um, but in addition to that, we were having people underuse spirit as well mm -hmm. um, uh, from a mechanical angle. Um, so, so this chart here shows um, basically our stats are, uh, you choose one stat to have a three in, one stat to have a one in, and your other two stats are two at the start of the game when you, when you set up your character. And so what this shows is um, if somebody chose three awareness, which stat did they choose to have a one in? If they chose three spirit, what stat did they choose to have a one in? Um, because of the way Google Forms worked, um, uh, we did uh, all options were legal to put in. And so somebody did put in a one spirit for three spirit. So that's some erroneous data. But everything else here, it shows if you have like three fitness, um, how many people chose uh, you know, one spirit, one mm -hmm. focus, or one awareness to go with their three fitness. So that's kind of the data we're looking at here. Um, so you can see here that. Um, uh, there's a bit of tanking awareness on spirit, but like overall spirit is the kind of most tanked stat, the most yeah. common one that people chose a one in mm -hmm. um, and a, uh, across all of wave one of testing, not just this version um, five one that we're looking at here. Um, we saw people underusing spirit. Um, and so uh, kind of diving in, digging into it, um, one of the big factors in that that we kind of identified was um, spirit. One of the big uses for it is to connect with people um, and communicate with people. Charisma is kind of in spirit Charisma, is, yeah. is part of spirit um, and all almost all of our people cards. So I mentioned earlier that wave one of testing 
pulled out all of our kind of our cities, right? It's just like exploring the world. Okay. Um, and so as a result, we don't actually have a lot of people to talk to. And we don't have any of our story missions, which also have people to talk to, right? Mm. And so we like, for this testing, we removed all the people you can talk to from the game. So our talking to people stat feels pretty useless to people. Mm. Um, this was kind of, and so like, uh, there were a couple other tweaks we made. Um, each stat has an associated universal action that you can perform with it. And we made some tweaks to the one that you can use with spirit um, to kind of help with it a bit. But overall, a lot of like spirit get, get not getting as much love, we've kind of identified as um, some of the things that weren't part of this wave of testing. Um, so this is definitely on my short list though of things we're looking out for as we head into our wave two of testing where we mm -hmm. introduce all the story content to see if spirit is more appreciated because while we have people in the game, you know, there's only so many cities around the valley, you're gonna spend most of your time in the wilderness. So it's still possible that it won't catch up. Um, yeah, so we'll kind of like, see. Because I think people think of it in terms of like, what's my end goal here? Like my end goal here is probably not gonna be to like, you know, discuss a bunch of things in the city. It's gonna be that there's gonna be, I know Earthborn Rangers is kind of like, you know, we don't have a big bad, you don't have to be the big bad, but I think gamers are attuned to something like there's gonna be bad things. And am I going to talk to that bad thing? So I'm like, I mean, you know, am I going to, do I need all the spirit in order to talk to the thing? Uh, usually how games work it is like, okay, now spirit is your attack stat. <laughs> that's how we get people to, you know, mess with spirit. Uh, so is that, you know, I mean, so like, do you, do you approach that kind of thing from purely mechanical end going, okay, what do people expect from my game? And let me kind of adjust the stats to the thing. Or does there have to be some kind of like a little bit of like more of a thematic reworking of a stat like that in order to get it to balance or option number three, is that even important at all? Like, does it, do we have to take it as dogma that every stat needs to be useful? You know, like, is that well, okay? Kind of well, I, I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, like I don't necessarily think that every stat needs to be equally useful necessarily. Um, and I think it's okay for one of them to be only situationally. So, and there, for, for there to be some asymmetry in that. Um, that being said, um, these are not only kind of the stats like an RPG that you might use to do things in the world, but they're also providing you with the resource that you use to play cards. And so a quarter of our card pool uses spirit. So we mm. also don't want it to be completely worthless, right? While I'm okay mm. with a little bit of asymmetry of usefulness, um, we don't want it to be completely useless because like we, um, want cool cards that you can play with it. Um, uh, but I, I think a, an actual good example of this is, uh, oh, sorry, I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. I think that the fact that these can also be used to play cards can be used as a balancing mechanism for us. It's one of our levers to pull, which is that like, oh, this stat might be not be as useful in the world, but it's card pool makes up for it. Um, and I think we can see that in how um, we're treating focus here. Um, uh, obviously focus doesn't have quite as much, uh, play as awareness did, but it still, it actually has pretty solid play and focus as kind of our intelligence stat doesn't actually have as many things to do in the world. Obviously you're doing a lot of stuff with fitness as you're hiking the wilderness, um, sure. but not as much stuff with focus, but focus's card pool has some really potent effects. Um, like since it's intelligence can often be a more introspective, uh, attribute for people. Um, you know, it has a lot to do with your deck and your ranger, and there's some really potent cards, 
So even though it's not as useful in the world, people still like focus because of the card pool. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one, one way we could play with spirit, but I am kind of withholding judgment until we get all the people in the game and kind of see how uh, people feel about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, this, this just speaks to the level of granularity and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to, uh, you know, highlight in this conversation. I mean, you are the, you are really looking at, and that this shouldn't be a surprise. Like, you mean, we have some of these complex games uh, and, you know, they're all like kind of crafted, but I think that there's, I think we could do better as a, you know, as fans of these games to really understand uh, a lot of what goes on and, and we're just scratching the surface, I imagine, <laughs> you know, here, right? Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, it, it, yeah, and I think that that does kind of talking about how we use this and how we push this. Um, if, if, if we have a, a couple more minutes to, to chat, sure. I can... Um, um, show off one other thing, which is like, um, uh, I think I might've shared it in the Twitter thread. I don't remember now. Um, um, let's scroll through all of these answers. Okay. So, um, uh, I can kind of talk about how we, we, we've talked a bit about how we kind of use this data to, um, push forward and iterate, but I kind of wanted to give a concrete example of some change we saw, sure. um, so uh, our game, uh, there are eight different terrain types listed here. They're all the different like um, kind of biomes you can come across in the valley. And so uh, location is, is constructed from these terrain cards from this terrain type, as well as some unique cards for it. But the terrain type makes up the meat of your experience. So we really wanted to test these different terrain types and making sure they were evoking the feel we wanted. Um, this also kind of gets back to our earlier conversation about difficulty and the subjectivity of it. Um, so for each terrain type, we had people um, report which terrain type they played. Um, because you can encounter multiple types of terrain, this answer, they can actually, there's there's multiple entries. So like terrain type one, terrain type two, terrain type three that they saw in a game. And they can, so they input which terrain type they played, they input their difficulty rating on it. As you can see, um, our difficulty rating here is a little, uh, a little high. Um, and then they, they kind of talk about uh, their experience with the terrain, the, that kind of qualitative element. Mm. Um, and so we gathered all this data and um, in this kind of earlier verge, ver version, um, we, so here we can kind of see um, uh, all of our different terrain types, as well as the average of their difficulty ratings. Uh, I kind of pulled them from all those different pods, glommed them together, averaged them out here. Um, and so you can kind of see the rating. And so like, you can see the average difficulty is actually pretty distributed, even mm -hmm. though like um, we've kind of got this overall rating here for everything, um, it's pretty distributed across our different terrain types. Um, now, part of this is intentional. We want different difficulty in our different terrain types. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this list is not in the order we wanted it. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Woods, Woods is Woods is definitely was supposed to be our easiest terrain type, but like ravine and swamp are supposed to be two of our hardest. Mm. And uh, we can see here, old growth forest is supposed to be kind of a medium one, and it has a four point oh, uh, four out of five, uh, so very difficult average. Uh, and this is where you mentioned at the beginning of us talking about invulnerable bees. The bees, uh, yes, the bees. Well, uh, the old growth forest is where they call home, and so a lot of this we can chalk up to invulnerable bees living in the old growth forest. Mm. But we have some other problems here, like these ones we want to be harder. Um, and so this was a big focus going from 5.1 that we're looking at now to 5.2, um, the version we kind of tested over the holidays and everything else. 
um, and was trying to kind of tweak these pods, addressing some of the complexity we talked about earlier, but also trying to tweak these pods and um, move around their difficulties. And so um, I also have the table um, for 5.2 and our feedback from 5.2. Um, and so you can see here, um, if I kind Better. of swap between these, yeah, so swamp, yeah. most difficult. Maybe too mm -hmm. difficult. Four three is pretty high, um, but uh, ravines up here too. Uh, old growth forest. Now that the bees are no longer invulnerable, uh, is down at three three. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is looking a lot more like kind of the distribution we wanted. Um, Lakeshore is supposed to be one of our easier ones. Uh, I uh, buffed some uh, annoying little otters, and they these lutrinols, <laughs> and they. Uh, um, gave people too much of a hard time. And so Lakeshore got way too uh, tough. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, so I just kind of want to show this off because like sure. uh, this kind of early phase of, of testing, I think people can like sometimes get the impression that testing is all about like tweaking numbers, like, oh, should this cost one or two or whatever? But like, especially this early on, you know, I kind of explained earlier, we're almost in the first third of external testing. We're kind of trying to look at experience more than like, you know, I don't care about every card being worded exactly correctly and technically edited edited per, to perfection. I don't care if like something is a little overcosted or a little undercosted. Like I'm really at this phase looking for the experience of like the core experience that the player is having. Do these mechanics work? Where are things like are, are these different terrain types evoking the feeling of being in that terrain? Are they evoking kind of the difficulty level and the intensity that we intended for players to have when they're in that area of the map? Um, we can worry in wave two and especially in wave three about balancing and tweaking and turning little knobs, but right now it's broad strokes and, and that's what this data, um, this data is really helpful on a very, you know, a lot of these questions you might've seen as I was scrolling through are very high level stuff because we're trying to keep it high level right now. Um, and that this data is helpful to kind of conglomerate um, every all the feedback we're getting and give context to all of the pages of stuff we're personally reading through and help us identify trends like how people are viewing our different terrain types. Mm -hmm. This has been a very amazing little like jaunt through the workshop, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, I think we've hit uh, a, a lot of the points that I wanted to hit. Is there anything like cool. outstanding that you wanted to uh, highlight in terms of the nuts and bolts or the, have we hit a couple of uh, a lot of the important ones, at least for this wave one uh, aspect? No, I, I think that covers most of it. I think we hit everything in the thread that you were interested in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one other tab I have open here, just to mention, you know, like we're talking, you were talking earlier about like, do people realize like just how much goes into this? Um, uh, so starting at wave one of testing, uh, way back in like November or something, um, after that point, every change we make to the game can be relevant to these testers who mm -hmm. need to know where the game's at, need to update their prototypes if they're physically printing it and everything. So once we go external. Everybody working on the game, all of our changes are conglomerated and tracked in a tracking sheet that mm. tracks version to version <laughs> every card and how it changed right. in the entire game. And so uh, just so to the, kind of to, for the to your earlier point of what, it's a spreadsheet that has gone into the hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's no, a it's long, a long, long spreadsheet. Yeah. And, and so, like, thinking about the stuff that goes into this, like, 
you know, we're taking this and we're iterating on the game, but we have to do so very carefully to make sure that we know what's changing and then that, um, you know, so invulnerable bees don't happen again and that the people uh, testing need to know what's changing. Sure. And so um, that's just, it's kind of a fun thing of just like, just how much work goes in behind the scenes to kind of make sure that everything's in order um, for our external testers. And also like if to make further changes, like, okay, we already did that change or like we already tried that in, the, in version, you know, 4.6 and we're not, you know, we don't have to try it in version 11.1 kind of thing. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, well, or sometimes it's like, oh, that thing that didn't work back in version, you know, like four, three now we got rid of the thing that was a problem. It can totally come back. And so oh. we actually keep, keep all our old files. And sometimes we'll go back and like, pull old versions of cards because it's like oh that totally works now because we got rid of the thing that was a problem that was like mutually exclusive with it and right um so it, it always it, it it pays to be organized and it pays to keep all of it keep everything at least until you publish the game absolutely all right uh so i i'm i'm good this was this has been a really really fun time uh like i said the, the purpose of this podcast was to really uh, drill down and highlight that this is hard stuff and I find it fascinating. Anyone who wants to go under the hood, you know, to this stuff, there's a lot there. There's a lot there uh, in terms of, you know, interest and everything. So Earthborn Rangers, it is coming later this year, 2022. That is the, uh, as, as much as we're in wave one or whatever it is, we're going to crash through those, those next two waves. <laughs> yep. Ne next couple months are all testing and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll proofread it and get it off to the printers. Um, one benefit of printing locally is that our turnaround is a lot faster. We don't have to ship uh, overseas. Um, so uh, uh, a lot of games that are printed in China could end up taking almost a year from um, going to print until they're in on store shelves. Ours is going to be on, on store shelves a lot faster, which is cool. All right. Very cool. All right. So uh, Andrew Fisher, uh, you are always an uh, open door. Uh, I, I pride myself on shelf stories to have like, you know, the, the best and the brightest, uh, the most thorough and the most open, the most transparent, a huge uh, value in my show. And you are definitely that. So I really appreciate you every time you come on. So thank you. Thank you for once again, stopping by the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's, it's fun to come on and, uh, and talk nitty gritty with you. That's right. Uh, if you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. <laughs>